How many of you right now notice something different? Not about me. Yes, I did get a haircut. But just feel around right now and give a little bit of a shake and a little bit of a wiggle to realize you are sitting. You are the first people in the history of Cornerstone to sit on these chairs. And you will notice that not only is the Lord expanding our space, but he's expanding our borders of our seats, that they are a little bit wider. For us that are in a season of plenty, and the Lord knows that we will expand over the next 25 years, and that we hope to be able to sit in these seats for years to come. I'll leave that joke. You know, you got to stop at some point. My name is Aaron Wardle. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm lucky to be able to continue in our series, Parables, uh, Kingdom Revealed. And today, we are going to look at three familiar parable stories that Jesus told that reveal the heart of God and expose the hearts of people. We're going to go after all three of them. So hang on to your new seats, and let's move forward as we look at these familiar passages. And one of the things that I ask, and I'm going to say this to you, and I'm going to say this to God, is oftentimes when we talk about familiar stories in the Bible, we can begin to check out and go, yeah, I know this one. It's on my list of things I know. But my eyes open prayer for you today and for me is that the Lord will open our mind and our heart and our eyes and our spirits, and that we'll be able to hear these stories afresh, the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. And that we'll be able to hear them and that the Lord will continue to lead us and to see what his heart is like and to actually expose how our hearts are so that we may be more like his. Lord, now for a closed-eyed prayer, I pray that you are just continually with us in these moments. Lord, it is just... uh, Fun is not the right word. It is awe-inspiring just to see what you're doing here. Something as simple as the seats that we get to sit in, to look and see each week you're doing something new. Lord, I pray that this space in here and the space outside is a physical representation of what is going on in our hearts, that you're building something new, that you're refreshing, you're renovating, and you're restoring. Would you do all those things today in the name of Jesus, our Messiah? Amen. So we are going to spend the rest of our time with me talking in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to look at the three parables that Jesus told there, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. And one of the things I want to do is oftentimes we divide these up, but I want to bring these together because I believe that in the context in which Jesus was speaking them, they build on one another. And it's important just to take a moment to see the backdrop in which he shared these parables. Jesus had gathered a lot of crowds, but this in particular one is in very mixed company. There are two groups that have gathered that don't necessarily like each other. Two groups that don't necessarily associate with one another. Have you ever gone to like a birthday party or something and your church friends and your work friends are there? And that awkward feeling of going like, oh my gosh. What could my church friends say that could offend my, work, offend my work friends? What could my work friends say that make my church friends offended? You know that awkwardness? I create that a lot of times. But you know that awkwardness? That's what Jesus is dealing with. It's like a biker bar and a Baptist convention mashup. And Jesus is right there in the middle of it all. And Luke writes these things in the very beginning. 
He says, now tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus is at the center of it all. As these two groups of people have come together, the tax collectors who are in cahoots with the Roman government, who are viewed by the Jews and the locals as traitors because they're oppressing their own people. And then there's sinners. And this isn't just your everyday sinners. This is like notable sinners. This is people that are just card carrying of I'm known for my sin. And they're gathered around and they're with Jesus. And I'm sure in that moment that they don't understand the appropriate religious sights and sounds and smells. They're just who they are. And it says in this passage that they draw, they drew near to Jesus to listen. And the phrase there is actually the same words for when the priest would draw near to the Holy of Holies in the temple. And so these sinners who don't know exactly what they're doing all they see is something's different about this guy. And I'm not sure about this religious rally, but I want to hear what he has to say. And they gather together and they draw close to Jesus. Then there's the religious leaders. And the religious leaders actually had a derogatory name for the sinners and the tax collectors. It was called the people of the land. And when someone was called a person or a people of the land, it meant you are an uneducated, unobserving Jew or a foreigner. And so it was not a nice term. And so the Pharisees and the scribes are there with the people of the land, which is our translation for those kind of people. And the Pharisees are there and they're religious leaders who are trying their best ability with all of those hearts strictly observed to the law. And they want to be in opposition to the Roman culture. And so they're investigating Jesus to go, what is going on? And then you have the scribes. And these were like when you got a situation with the Torah, with the law, you call in the scribes because these are the experts when it comes to the nuances and tough issues. And so they're investigating what's going on. And they say, you know, I, I hear what he's saying. and It sounds pretty great. I see these miracles and I, I can't deny it, but look at who he associates with. This can't be the Messiah we're waiting for. And in the midst of all of this awkwardness, I love that Jesus in his brilliance and in his balance isn't thrown at all. But he steps up and instead of giving a sermon or a lecture at the different groups, he just begins to share three stories that bring to a level playing field the people of the land and the people of the law and no one leaves without being convicted. And so we move into the three stories. And the first story that Jesus says is he begins to speak to them about the lost sheep. And I'll read this for us. This is in Luke 15. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he had lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's stop there for a moment. I just want to talk about a few things. Because it's a beautiful story, but how he starts is amazing. Jesus is so powerful 
in his rhetorical skills and how he speaks to a crowd because he starts out with saying, what one of you men wouldn't do this? And basically he traps them. Now they're in the story and they're the subject. Which one of you wouldn't do this? That if you had a hundred sheep and one gets lost, wouldn't you go after it? Wouldn't you leave it? And they would know to say, you know what? How can I deny that? And the scribes and the Pharisees would be looking and going, oh, that's what God did in the Old Testament. Jesus just went Old Testament on me. What am I going to do? But we see this, that Jesus uses something very common, and he speaks to the men, and the men are saying, okay, I can relate to that. Because they knew the behavior of sheep. Even if they weren't a shepherd, they could be around. That sheep, as the old hymn says, are prone to wander. Now, I know by my look, you know that I am not an individual that understands agriculture or farming or shepherding, but I do have something called Google. So I'm now an amateur sheep herder. But one of the things that happens with sheep is the reason that they begin to wander are three main reasons. One is fear, that they get spooked. And instead of seeing what it is, they just take off in a direction and they just start running. The second thing is they're just eating and they're grazing. And as they go from one place, they begin to move to another place and going, this is delicious. I think I'll have seconds and thirds and fourths and fifths. And before they know it, the sheep has wandered away, away from the flock. And the last thing is they're just curious. Ooh, what's that? That's shiny. And they head over to look for it. And before they know it, the sheep is gone. And the people around it go, well, I see that. You know what? Prone to wander. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. They would have known Isaiah 53.6 to see, oh, that's where it goes. And then they see the behavior of the shepherd. And I love in this that the first thing that happens is the shepherd notices one is gone. He's like, And he's counting the sheep, and it's not like there's seven, there's 99. He's like, stand still, please. Something is missing. And the sheep goes away. And he realizes he's aware. Something is off. And he feels the loss. And he sees the cost that that would be, and so he goes out. And he finds the sheep. He goes out from there, and he picks it up. I was laughing to myself because I entertain myself in my head often. I imagine it was always the fattest sheep that got away. And so he would go and go, son of a gun, Bertha, why in the world? Or whatever, or, or Jameson, or whatever name you want to say. Nothing equal to that name. It's just, it picks it up, and he puts it over his shoulders, and he carries it back. And then when he gets home, he tells his friends, guys, beer's on me tonight. Why? Because one of those stinking sheep, was it the fat one? Yes, it was the fat one. Got away again, and I rejoice because he's back. And then Jesus, as they're telling the story, he all of a sudden pops out of an earthly imagery, and he says, this is what it's like in heaven. This is what he says. He says, this is what it's like in heaven when one sinner returns. And so the Pharisees are there in this general story in which they see to see we all like sheep have gone astray, but the shepherd is after us, and he rejoices, and he wants to share his rejoicing. I wonder what the atmosphere was like after that. But he doesn't stop there. He goes to the next story. And as he moves into the next story, he says there was, he begins again with a question. He says, or what woman, 
Interesting, isn't it? That publicly Jesus would address the women in that and identify them. What woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one, does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, a story that commonly they would know. They would understand that this coin that the woman had, the value would be a day's wages lost. But even more than that, culturally, it has two implications. One is, this would be the equivalent. They would take the coins, and the coins were part of their dowry. The woman's dowry that she received when she was married. And they would string them together, and they would wear them, and it was almost as if it's a wedding ring. Anybody ever lost their wedding ring? I'm on my first marriage fourth ring. I just lose them or break them. This fierce individual. But this woman, so it's something valuable. It's not just any coin. This is part of her dowry that has broken loose from being tied together as, 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 a, as a piece of jewelry, and now it's gone. And so you see the panic. <clears throat> Excuse me. Also, this could be, if it wasn't an, uh, a, symbolizing kind of her, 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 her marriage, it could also be the dowry that was sewn together and put in a headband that she was to wear on her wedding day. And so this is like an engagement ring. And so the panic when she loses it, and it says she lights a lamp, which was costly because they didn't have exhaustible resources. Oil was expensive. And she sweeps the entire house because they would have dirt floors. It was easy for things to get lost. And she looks around and says that she searches diligently. And when she finds it, same thing. Come on over. We're having a little bit of, party, a little bit of a party because I lost my wedding ring and I found it. I lost this coin, and I have it. Now, one time, I'll share. One time, uh, when Destry and I moved to California, we had moved a whole bunch of stuff. And sometimes there's items that you don't strategically remember where you put, like passports and Social Security cards, things like that, when you move. You just, they go in a box somewhere, that special box. And we moved to California, and when we got there, I was doing some adjunct work at a school, and they said, you have to fill out this I-9 form when we need a, a, a form of identification. Well, my driver's license doesn't count. All you can use is social security card or your passport. And so I didn't have it. They let me teach the class, but I wasn't gonna get paid until I got to show them those things. And so. We, like the woman with the lost coin, began to scour the house for the passport. We began to turn over all the boxes, and we began to tell people, please intercede on the Lord's behalf, because there is a sum of money that needs to be unlocked, and it is right here, and my passport is the thing that unlocks that journey of cash. And one day, Destry's going through stuff, and she comes in dancing with the passport. Praise be to the living God. But one of the things I began to realize is I understand what it's like to lose something of value unintentionally, to have it misplaced in the chaos of life. 
but it's something that is absolutely necessary. And all the people there would go, you know what? Sometimes things just get accidentally lost. And sometimes things get knocked down. Like the woman who would have had this strung together as a piece of jewelry or woven into a headband. Maybe she was washing it in preparation and one of the coins came loose. Was it intentional? No. Did it wander away? No. Was it rebellious? No. But sometimes life happens and things get lost and buried. Can I get a witness on that? Jesus goes to the next story. And now, the first two are like jab, jab. Everyone's like, oh, that's great. That's awesome. You know what? God searches for the lost. And now he begins to step in and hone in closer. And no one's going to be left unconvicted from this one. Let me read this story for you. A little bit longer, but you have padded seats, so you're in good shape. This is a once upon a time instead of a inviting into the story. And he said to the, and Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was, lo he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he had came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. Let us begin to celebrate. I'm going to pause there. Because I want to break this up into two sections, because oftentimes when we read this, we read the title, it says the prodigal son. But the first line says there once was a man with two sons. And I think one of the things we need to see that as Jesus is getting closer and closer to the Pharisees and the scribes, he talked about a sheep, a coin, a rebellious son, and then he's going to get up to them. But we're going to look at that rebellious son. And what do we see here? The first thing is the disrespect of the younger son. Hey, dad. Time's a-wasting, and I really don't want to wait until you're dead to get my inheritance. No offense to you, just would like everything that's supposed to be mine. Can I have it now? And amazingly, the father obliges, divides up his wealth. Historically, it would go two-thirds to the eldest son, one-third to the youngest son. So the youngest son gets one-third of all the family's wealth, and he takes it. 
Heads out, peace, goes into town, squanders it. He's rebellious, disrespectful, and he goes into the town, and because of the famine, he becomes broken, and he's empty. And he returns home, and he says, basically, just because I'm starving, my pain, my brokenness, my emptiness is the only reason I'm returning to you, Father. Sit with that for a second. Our brokenness, our emptiness, and pain is the only reason that the son returns to the father. And as the son returns, not in this most pure motive way, as soon as the father, who is waiting and watching, sees him, the father begins to run. Lifts up his man dress, gets his legs out, and just starts moving. And a father was not supposed to do this. He was a dignified character, especially a landowner. They don't run. Kids run. And he's running towards the son. I imagine the son going, I'm not sure if he, how this is going to, is this a good running? Is this a bad running? Is he going to get one more hit in on me? And as the father gets to the son, I imagine that it is just a mess of emotion as he grabs him and he kisses him right away. Not a sign of rejection, but a sign of reconciliation. Welcomes him home. Grabs him. And as the son is saying, gets a speech, you know, he pulls out, he's like, I have sinned against heaven and against... Go get a ring. Puts the ring on his finger to state you have the family again. Put on a robe. This is your status as a son in the family. We're going to have a feast. You need some shoes. And you're going to need a pedicure. Those feet are looking rough. He gathers him and welcomes back in, kills the fatted calf, and they throw a celebration. The father is audacious and welcomes him back home. Everyone listening to this story at the time would be going like, wow, isn't that beautiful? And then Jesus says, I'm not done yet. And the story continues. Now his older son was in the field, and he had come. And he drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants, and he asked, what does this mean? And the servant said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go. His father came out and had treated him. But he answers his father, look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him. And, he, and the father said to the son, son, you're always with me. And all, this is, all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this brother of yours is dead, was dead, but now he's alive. Very different reactions. Two brothers. We see the oldest brothers. And I think he gets a bad rap because when we read this, we're like, boo. But the older brother's out in the field and no one tells them there's a party. No one's like, hey, come on in. We're going to cut the day short. There's a party. He comes back and he's like, oh, I see. I'm out in the field working while you're eating the fatted calf because my stupid brother who squandered everything is home. That doesn't seem fair. 
Like I didn't even get a chance to shower and come into the party. And you guys have thrown this already and you left me out. And to see that this son is super faithful, he's out working in the field. This isn't just the heir who sits around and lounges. He's out putting in the time, doing the things that need to be done for the father, running the family business, putting in the work. And he looks and sees this party going on. He says, I will not stand for this. I'm not going in. And now we see again, we move to the father. And the father once again pursues. The first time when he saw his son a long way off coming home, he ran to him. Now the father gets up from his place of honor at the party and heads out of the room to go get the elder son to say, come on, come in with us. And he pleads with him. And he says, please, please, come in with us. Why should I, dad? Because your brother, we thought he was dead. Now he's alive. Come back in. Jesus in his brilliance stops the story there. Mic drop, boom. Messiah out, see ya. And we don't know. Does the older brother come to his senses? Dun, dun, dun. Does he leave? We don't know. But Jesus leaves it there. But what he has done in this moment is he has revealed the very heart of God and he has exposed the hearts of the people wherever they were, whether they had wandered away, whether they were rebellious, whether they were resentful, and he exposed the hearts of the people. Take a second, because I need a sip of water. What do you think the atmosphere was like after the story? Remember the environment, tax collectors and sinners, Pharisees and scribes, the people of the law and the people of the land. After they heard the story, what is the environment like? I imagine there's a bit of shift in the tone. It's still awkward, but now it's awkward because everybody's equal. They've all got a level of conviction because Jesus spoke in that moment to men and women, to the faithfully frustrated and the rebellious, to those who had wandered and those who had been lost. And everyone's standing there, okay, What does this, as we move, what does this story, what do these stories reveal about the heart of God? Again, I just give you a few seconds to think about that. What do these stories reveal about the heart of God? Because I had a bunch of time and you only had 30 seconds this week. This is what I see in the text. 
One of the first things we see in each one of these parables is God is absolutely aware of each person and where they're at and where they're lost. Think on a cosmic level that Jesus is saying, which of you who has a hundred sheep notices the one? Jesus is saying, God notices every single one of those who are lost and how they are lost. Is that not amazing? That when David says he knows when I rise and when I sleep, when I come and when I go, that God we see in this, the one who was and is and is to come, is aware when we are lost and how we are lost. And he recognizes it. And it isn't like a Santa Claus where it's, there's a naughty list where he's going, okay, there's going to, you know, I want to make sure, yeah, that's his bad behavior, and I got a list of those things. He just knows where we're at, whether we're caught in the thicket, whether we're buried in the dust, whether we've gone to a foreign land, or whether we're standing outside the room throwing a little hissy fit because we didn't get a party. And he knows exactly where we're at. And so the heart of God is revealed to say he is aware. The next thing, and this really got me this week, so I'll be vulnerable with this one, the emotion of God's loss. It moved him that someone was away from him, and there was the loss, there was the, um, the pain of separation that God experienced, which created a longing for reunion. Does that make sense? There's the pain of separation. Just like the shepherd, one of my sheep is gone. Just like with the woman, one of my coins is gone. Just like the father, my son is gone. This one is distant. That there is the pain of separation that God actually feels. And that there is the longing for reunion. That the one who spoke that there is light and there was life from the very beginning is saying, I am hurting and sad that you are distant from me. So much so that I'm going to do something about it. And I'm going to come after you. And that's the next thing we see. We see this pain of separation. The longing for reunion. The care, the urgency, and the compassion that he has. But then we see in each one of these in different ways that the heart of God is to search for those that are lost. And his searching isn't to grab us by the ear and like, you're coming with me back home into heaven. and we're gonna... It isn't aggressive. at all for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life for God not did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him we see that there's a search and rescue nature and character to God to say one of mine is lost and I know how they're lost and I'm going to find them and I'm bringing them back not for condemnation or rejection or humiliation, but for reconciliation and relationship. Is that not amazing that that's his heart? How many times do we get the heart of God wrong to say he's just lording over us <laughs> to get us because we've made mistakes instead of loving us and welcoming us back in? So the heart of God searches and then it comes close. In each one of these passages, there is the, the coming close with the sheep over the shepherd, the coin that is put back 
the son that is kissed and embraced, and the other son that the father goes out to have a conversation. And I imagine there was some physical touch in that of saying, come on in. You're always with me. We're never separated. Everything you see is mine, is yours. Everything you see that is mine is yours. And this intimacy and this connection. One of the other things, and this is the, the final thing in this little section, is as I looked at this this week, something began to shift in me, and it was just in the last day or so. That in each one of the passages, it talks about someone going when they found something to go share their joy with someone else to celebrate. And so what God's heart and character is, to share with us who to share with those who aren't lost his joy that others have come back. And so it isn't necessarily about being glad the brother's back. But it's that the older brother would join in the joy of his father because he recognized the pain of separation and the longing for union. Does that make sense? Do you see just a little shift? It isn't just about their return and what that is for them. It's about the joy of the father. That God is revealing his heart and saying, please join me because I'm so ecstatic and so excited and so filled with joy when one of my lost ones come back. Don't be resentful and bitter. Can you share in my joy? They were gone. They're home. I thought they were dead. They're alive. Join my joy. So this reveals that in the heart of God. The next thing we see in the question I have for you is what do these stories expose in the hearts of people? What do they expose? Take a moment and think about that. Again, I had some time to think about this. I'll share with you what I see in the passage. I encourage you to go back, Luke 15. Every time you read this, there'll be something new you see. It's so powerful. But the first thing we see about the, that is exposed in the hearts of humanity and people in that group when Jesus was speaking and right here today is, we are prone to wander. Can I get a witness? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Sometimes it's out of fear. We just take off running in a direction. 
Sometimes it's because we're looking for different sustenance. We're looking for someone to, something to fill us. And we kind of slowly wander away. And after a while, six months, a year, 10 years, 35 years, we go, huh, I'm not where I used to be. And I have no idea how I got here. Have you ever found that? And I don't mean because of substance that you go like, I have no idea how I got here. But have you ever gone in a moment of awareness and say, how did I get in this place? How did I get in this situation? Because I didn't choose it one day, but I slowly wandered away. We like sheep have gone astray. We are all, as the hymn writer said, prone to wander. The next thing that we see that is exposed in the hearts of, of humanity, exposed in the hearts of people, is when we get knocked down and we get separated, we have a tendency to get lost. And so I had a hard time putting this together, and I hope you understand this, but when the coin is separated and is lost from the woman, when it comes loose from the necklace, when it comes off being sewn into the headband and it becomes buried, it wasn't an intentional action. The coin didn't do anything. It's an, it's an inanimate object. But it wasn't intentionally lost. But the consequences were the same. And so sometimes what happens in life, we have something that happens to us and we get knocked down and we get buried and we are separated and we feel hidden from God and we feel hidden from others. And this is a form of lostness. And so sometimes it's not our fault that we are lost, but the consequences are still the same. Anybody ever experienced that? Wasn't my fault but the consequences I'm having to deal with. And so this is exposed in the hearts. I imagine that there have been people in that crowd, just like there's people in this crowd that have had something happen in their lives. And because of that, they feel separated from God and others. And Jesus is speaking that and he exposes that in the hearts of the people. The next thing it exposes is that we are oftentimes absolutely rebellious. We just want to do what we just want to do. Hey, I don't want to wait for you to die, Father. I'd like my inheritance now. So cash out your stocks. Cash in the 401k. I want it now. We're just rebellious. We want our own way. And if there wouldn't have been a famine in the land, I wonder how this story would have gone. But we become broken and empty and only in our pain will it drive us back to God. Friends, I'm like that so much. I wish that it was this pure motives of just saying, it's just because I love you, God. But oftentimes I come back bruised, battered, and empty-handed and going, my bad. And it was my pain that drove me back to him. It's our pain. And the last thing that we see is that it is exposed in this is that it is very easy for us to be faithful and frustrated. That underneath our faithfulness and our obedience and our righteousness and all our morality and all our good behavior, we're bitter. And Jesus exposes this. We're bitter because no one let us know there was a party. Serious? I'm out in the field with your flocks and you have a party and don't invite me. I'm just to show up and know what's happening. Uh, no, thank you. I don't want to be there. 
and we feel that life, though we've been faithful, it's no easier for me. And I've been doing, I mean, I've read all my Bible. I have 370 days of devotions in a row. There's a checklist. I haven't said bad words. I'm doing all these things that are supposed to be righteous, and my life's not getting any better or easier. And no one's thrown a party for me. But I've done all these things. Jesus exposes the motivation and the frustration in the hearts of people. And I love the response of the Father in this. And I'm going to wrap up. If the band wants to begin to, to come, I'm going to kind of lead through an exercise, so play quietly. Um, but one of the things in this is the Father says, the son is even frustrated, and the father isn't offended. He just say, come close to me. All of mine is yours. You're always with me. Even though the son was absolutely frustrated and looking the father in the eyes and saying, you're not fair. And as I look at this text, how many of us, underneath our obedience to God, our faithfulness, in the quiet of our own heart, in the deep in our journal where we think God can't see, we go, life is not fair. Because they get all of that, and I'm doing everything right, and it's not going my way. And no one threw me a party. In fact, they didn't even invite me to it. And that's the place where our hearts are exposed. And in that moment, Jesus inviting all the lost, the ones that have wandered away, the ones that have been knocked down, the ones that have been rebellious, and the ones that are faithfully frustrated. It's as if Jesus is looking at them and saying, would you look at me? I know you think this is unfair. Can we talk about it? Because I want to explain things. So my question as we move into this is, where are you in this story? And where am I in this story? Because it's often fun to talk about those other people in ancient times. But right here, right now, I believe that there's an opportunity through the Holy Spirit and through the Scripture where he's saying, where are you in this story? And the first thing I want you to know is as we go into this time, is God is on the pursuit for you, but it isn't to grab you by the ear, to pull you by the hair back, to condemn you, it's to welcome you. But if you just close your eyes for a moment. Holy Spirit, you are here and you are good. And I pray your sweet conviction fills this room. I pray first of all, that every individual in here will have their eyes and hearts and minds and spirits open to, to see your heart, how good it is, how kind it is, how gracious it is. And now that there's no need to be embarrassed or filled with shame, because you know exactly where they are, and you want to rescue them, relieve them, and so if you're in this place, I just ask you go before the Lord and say, Lord, help me to understand, where am I? Am I like the lost sheep that wandered off? 
Am I like the lost coin that is accidentally, not because of something I did, because of something else? I feel buried and distant. Am I like the younger lost son who'd been rebellious, and right now I feel the pain of emptiness and brokenness? Or Lord, am I like the older son Where I'm standing outside and I'm looking and said, I've done everything right and life has not gone the way I thought. Would you just allow the Lord to speak to you in that moment? If you feel you are in that place where the lost sheep has wandered away, I bless you with the knowledge that the living God is on his way. He's actually leaving behind the 99 because he noticed you were missing. And he's on his way to search through the thicket and to pick you up and carry you back that there's rejoicing. I bless you with that knowledge in the name of Jesus that you may know that that's what's happening right now. That you may feel that embrace of being carried. And so I bless you, Lord. I bless my friends that feel that they are there. Lord, I pray that they may experience a sense of being carried back to you. And now, if you identify and seeing, you know, I'm like the lost coin and, and, and this thing happened and it's knocked me down and I feel buried, that I pray that you may know in this moment that the light of Christ is being shine, shown and that he's sweeping and moving things that you may be found and that you may be sown back in and reconciled that you may no longer be hidden and buried I pray that you may know that and that you almost feel that light that Paul talks about in Ephesians that illuminates the, the darkness that you may see for the for those of you who identify with the lost son and you're come to this place one, pray for courage to turn towards the Lord. That you won't let your shame and guilt cause you to run further. But it's time to come back. And that as you say, Lord, I want to return to you. I bless you with a glimpse of seeing him running towards you. I bless you with a glimpse to see through the scriptures and see just even in this moment the joy on his face of saying, you're home.
Lord, do all you want to do in that area. And finally, for those who identify with the lost older son, I bless you with the courage to be honest with God. Would you get honest with him and just say, I feel like this is unfair? Instead of running further away into religion and ritual and self-righteousness, would you turn to him and just say, this is where I'm at? And I bless you in that, that you may see the Father say, I hear you. But all that is mine is yours. And you are always with me. And I pray right now that that is enough. That knowing he is always with you and all that is his is yours. And so we praise God for who he is and all that he does. We pray that he will make these things, see them through to completion. In Jesus' name, amen.